This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. No time to chat tonight, so it's straight to another adventure with Mr. and Mrs. North. Woodbury Cold Cream. Lovely to look at, delightful to know, and heaven to kiss. The makers of Woodbury Cold Cream, the beauty cream for the skin you love to touch, present The Adventures of Mr. and Mrs. North. and Jerry knew Albie Baker couldn't have committed the murder. But there was all that evidence against him. And as his own lawyer said to the Norths one night in their apartment, I don't like it. I'm his lawyer and his story doesn't even sound good to me. Yeah, I know. Oh, but you must believe him. Albie'd never kill anyone, never. What makes you so sure? Why, Jerry and I have known him for years. Well, I'm afraid that wouldn't convince a jury, Pamela. Pam's right, though. Albie's no killer. All you have to do is look at him, Mr. Hanson. He has one of the kindest faces I've ever seen. Oh, if only there was some way of finding that letter. Yes, yes. The letter is the only piece of evidence to support Baker's story. And nobody has ever seen it except Baker himself. Al said he showed it to Krug. But Krug denies it. He's lying. Well, it's Baker's word against Krug's. And with all the other evidence against Baker, I'm afraid the jury will believe Krug. All right, Mr. Baker, just tell the court your story the way you told it to me. Now, you've told us that Private Detective Anderson questioned you about the stolen goods in your store. Yes, sir. He asked me where I got the merchandise, and I, I said from Mr. Warren. But I didn't know where Warren got it. What did the detective say to that? He said he'd investigate Warren. And then what happened? Well, about a week later, I got a letter from Detective Anderson. He said he thought he had the goods on Warren and asked me to invite Warren to my apartment. I was to introduce Anderson to Warren as, uh, as a friend of mine. Well, then... Oh, Mr. Baker, Detective Anderson wrote you a letter telling you that he wanted to meet Warren in your apartment, did he? Yes, sir. Where is that letter? I, I don't know. You don't know? I see. Did anyone besides yourself ever see that letter? Yes. Yes, I, I showed it to Wilbur Crew. Why? Well, I, I wanted his advice. After Anderson was murdered in my apartment, I, I was in a jam. I thought Wilbur would help me. I showed him the letter and asked him what I, what I should do. What did he do with it? I don't know. He, he must have destroyed it. Did you see him destroy it? No, sir. 
You didn't see what he did with it? No, sir, I did not. Well, wasn't that a rather strange thing to do? To give someone such a vital piece of evidence and then not even notice what he did with it? I, I was upset and confused. I, I hardly knew what was happening. Besides, I thought he was my friend. I, I didn't think of him. Mr. Krug, did the defendant ever show you a letter to him from Frank Anderson, stating that Anderson was to meet Warren in the defendant's apartment? No, he did not. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this case is very simple. Stolen merchandise was found in the store of the defendant. This is a fact. A man investigating the stolen goods was murdered in the defendant's apartment. This is a fact. Against these facts, we have only the defendant's word and the letter he claims the dead man Anderson wrote him. Very well, where is that letter? Did anyone but the defendant ever see that letter? No. And why? For the very simple reason that there is no such letter. There never was such a letter. Frank Anderson didn't go to Baker's apartment to see Warren. He went there to see Baker. And it was Baker who killed him. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. We find the defendant guilty as charged. Jerry, I'm just sick. Think of it. Albie Baker convicted of murder. Yeah. Such a nice little fellow. If only there was something we could do. Oh, darling, I don't feel like seeing anyone. Well, I'll go send whoever it is away. Ah, Mr. North. Oh, hello, Mr. Krug. May I come in? I have something to tell you. You mean you're ready to tell the truth about that letter? More. I'm ready to produce it. What? Yes. Oh, don't think I've enjoyed playing the part I did. I despise myself. But I'm really a very weak character, and in my own way, I have to look out for myself. Every man for himself in this dog-eat-dog world, I always say. Skunk would be more like it. But come on in if you really have something to offer. Oh, thank you. Don't be too harsh in judging me. I'm prepared to undo the wrong I've done. Good. But uh, for a price. Ah, Mrs. North, as lovely as ever, I see. Darling, this worm has decided to take a turn for the better. He's going to let us have the letter. Oh, good. But as I mentioned before, for a price. All right. What price? Well, it depends. On what? On Cupid Warren. What's he got to do with it? Well, uh, the letter, while clearing Albie, would convict Warren. Under the circumstances, he'd be willing to bid on the letter, too. You mean you're going to give that horrible thug a chance to buy that letter? To practically buy Albie's life? You know we can't match dollars with that gangster. He's big time, and I don't have that kind of money. As for Al, the poor fellow sank his last cent on the trial. You have friends. Well, I, I'll see what I can do. Mr. Krug, you're... You're... Oh, there are no words for you. Well, after all, Mrs. North, I do have to eat, you know. Why? Ah, oh, me. Everyone hates me. Well, it's to be expected. But do unto others, and you wind up on the breadline, I always say. I'd much rather be comfortable and well-fed than popular. So, let's get down to business. Now, tomorrow you come to the address I'll give you. 
Naturally, you won't mention this to the police of the deal's on. I'll see to it that you're not followed. You'll go up one flight of stairs, knock on the door three times, and if everything is ready... and Mrs. North. I've been waiting. Uh, come in. Mr. and Mrs. North, allow me to present Mr. Cupy Warren. How are you? Why are you locking the door? So we won't be disturbed. Well, now let's get started, shall we? Come over to the table and sit down. All right. All right, bright eyes, where's that letter? In time, Mr. Warren, in time. I ain't got time and I ain't bitten till I see what I'm bitten on. Very well. Just a moment and I'll get it. North. If you and your missus are smart, you're going to keep your mouth shut when I start bidding. Unfortunately, we're not very smart. Well, don't say I didn't warn you. If you wake up in the morgue some morning, you'll know why. All right, folks, here we are. The one and only genuine Frank Anderson letter to Albie Baker. Let's see that. Ah, uh-uh, Mr. Warren, mustn't touch. Give me that letter. Oh, a gun? Yeah. Now hand over that letter. Oh. Thank you, thank you, Mr. North. You hit him with that chair just in time. And now I have the gun. I was very foolish. I should have seen to it that he was disarmed before he came in here. Ah. Get up, Cupie. You're all right. Oh, I'll get you for this, North. Well, folks, shall we start the bidding? Yes, let's get it over with. Very well. What am I bid for this 100% foolproof, perfect alibi for Albie Baker? I'll give you a grand. I beg your pardon. You heard me. A grand, he says. $1,000. Don't you realize your life hangs on this piece of paper, Mr. Warren? Is that all your life is worth to you, a measly thousand dollars? His life isn't worth a measly twenty cents. I'll be two thousand. But, Mr. North, Albie Baker's life also depends on this paper. Is two thousand dollars all you bid for your very dear friend? He was supposed to be your very dear friend, too, remember? Come now, let's stop this fooling around. I want a real bid. Five grand. And if you open your mouth, North... I'll push your face so far back through your head every time you want to blow your nose, you'll have to turn around. Ten thousand. All right, wise guy, you'll get yours. Ten thousand, I'm bid. Ten thousand. Do I hear fifteen? Come, come, gentlemen, what are we waiting for? Fifteen. Twenty. Why, you? Well, now, this is more like it. Twenty is bid. Do I hear thirty? Thirty, thirty. Do I hear thirty? Jerry, where are we going to get twenty thousand dollars? I don't know. Twenty-five. Thirty. Mr. You're just asking for trouble and don't think you won't get it. Now, I'll give you just one more chance. Forty grand, Krug. And that's positively, absolutely my last bid. And North, if you and the little lady don't want to go swimming in the river with your feet in a bucket of semen... Ignore him, Mr. North. I have 40,000. Will anyone make it 50? 50, do I hear 50? 40,000, then. It's going at 40,000. Going once... Jerry, we can't let him get away with it. I know, darling. Going twice... Okay, Krug. I'll make it 50. All right, brother, if that's the way you want to play. 50,000, do I hear six? You don't hear nothing. Let him take it. Okay. Sold to Mr. North for $50,000. How long can I have to raise the money? You don't have it with you? Huh. Don't be funny. Well, uh, how about tomorrow noon? Well, that's pretty fast. I'm in a hurry. I want to get this over with. Well, I'll do what I can. All right. I'll call you tomorrow and make arrangements. You better make arrangements for his funeral. <laughs> Got 
dollars, Jerry. How will we ever get that money? We're not millionaires. We're not even 50,000 heirs. Well, we'd better be before noon tomorrow if we want to get that letter. I wonder if it really is the letter. And that's word for word what Albie told me was in the letter. We've just got to get that money. Can we, Jerry? I doubt it. But you bid. For time, darling. There must be some way we can... Jerry, look out, that car. Quick, Pam, come here. Jerry, you pulled me in at this doorway just in time. Yeah, it seems Cupid's losing no time keeping his promise. Jerry, car stopping in the next block. It's turning around. Oh, come on, I don't feel like playing target for that thug with a machine gun anymore. Where are we going? There's a taxi across the street. Oh, here we are. Quick, get in. Driver, start going. I don't care where, only make it fast. Jerry, they're coming. Hurry, driver. Golly. They're still coming. Driver, turn again at the next corner. See if you can get away from that car that's following us. Good. Oh. Now, if you can shake them, you can name your own tip. But if you can't... Oh, we... Let's not even think about that, Jerry. After all, I don't have a thing to wear to my funeral. I hope I never have to go through anything like that again. No, it was a pretty bad ten minutes, wasn't it? If our driver hadn't cut through that alley, we never would have shaken them. Well, what do we do now, Jerry? We can't stay cooped up in this hotel room. Got to find some way to raise that money. Let's see. Do, do, do we know anybody with $50,000 to spare? Do we know anybody with $50,000? No. Oh, there must be some way to get our hands on some money. Either beg, borrow, or steal it. Of course, Jerry. Steal it. Oh, now, Pamela, if you think I'm going to rob a oh, bank... Oh, no, no, Jerry. Not money. The letter. What? Why don't we steal the letter? Oh. Well, we could... We could just... I, I don't know. It does seem like a good idea. We don't even know where he keeps it. It was in the back room. Yes, but you can be sure it's well concealed. He probably expects us to try just what you're suggesting. Well, I know how we can find out where he keeps it, Jerry. You see... When he thinks the house is on fire, he'll oh, go right to the minute, farm. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why should he think the house is on fire? Because of the smoke, silly. What smoke? From the bomb. Bomb? Smoke? What the dickens are you talking about? A scandal in Bohemia. Oh, uh, what? Don't you ever read, Jerry. Nice book publisher. A scandal in Bohemia is a story by Sherlock Holmes. Oh. You know, when Holmes wanted to find out where something was hidden, he had Watson set off a smoke bomb so that the woman who had hidden it would go and get it, and then he could get it. Uh, only he couldn't because she was very clever and, uh, well... Uh, that, that, I that's mean... all right, darling. I remember the story now. Well, how about it then, Jerry? Well... We can go see Mr. Krug to uh, ask for more time or something, and then we can set off a smoke bomb, and he'll think the house is on fire, and he'll run to get the... Well, all right, sweetheart, all right, you win. Let's go see what happens when smoke gets in his eyes. <laughs> Just what to do, don't you, Pam? Yes. Good. Just watch for my signal. Uh-huh. Well, here's Krug's apartment. We've got to be ready to work fast. Gullies, I hope it goes all right. Cupid! Oh! Yeah. You didn't expect to find me here, did you? <laughs> but I thought me and the boys ought to drop over and pay Krug a visit. And now you come to the party, too. <laughs> well, that's... Well, that's just swell. <laughs> come in. Well, I think we'd better... Uh, 
uh, we were just leaving. I said come in. That's right. Look, boys, we got company. Okay, Butch, lock the door. Now, a brief intermission with a wartime duty rule for the ladies. These war days, we can't have all we'd like in the way of member. Good grooming can do more than fine clothes to make you lovely to look at. And there's a wonderful way to help your skin keep immaculately well-groomed. A way so quick and easy that it might have been made just for these busy days. You see, there's one cream that, all alone, does everything for skin beauty. It gives your skin complete beauty care, for it's a complete beauty cream. It's Woodbury Cold Cream. Just try it tonight and see. Dip into a jar of silky soft Woodbury Cold Cream and cover your face with it well. The rich cleansing oils loosen dirt and old makeup. So wipe off the soil cream. Your skin will simply glow. It's so fresh, so clean. Now pat on more Woodbury and leave some on your skin overnight. That's all. You've given yourself the famous Woodbury Beauty Nightcap. It takes just three minutes, and tomorrow, when you see your clearer, smoother, more radiant complexion, you want to do that every night. Use Woodbury to cleanse your skin in the daytime, too. Your makeup will go on with a porcelain-perfect finish. Four special softening and smoothing ingredients make Woodbury Cold Cream so beautifying. Another ingredient makes Woodbury exceptionally safe, for it works constantly purifying the cream in the jar in case blemish-causing germs get in. No other cream gives you this added protection. Try this complete beauty cream. Get Woodbury Cold Cream tonight. And now back to Mr. and Mrs. North. In their attempt to get the letter that will clear Albie Baker, the North have gone to Krug's apartment, only to be greeted there by Cuby Wallace. You know, Mr. and Mrs. North, you just don't seem never to learn. Should I give them a once-over lightly, boss, just so they get the idea you ain't fooling? Not yet, Butch. You're not through with Krug. Leave me alone, won't you? Sure, sure. As soon as you tell us where you got that letter. I'll never tell you. Okay, Butch. Right, boss. Now, Krug, this is going to hurt you more than it does me. No, no, Bruce. That was nothing, Mr. North. But you're just getting warmed up. You're going to talk, mister? Okay, how do you like this? No, no, stop it. Stop it. I'll tell you. I'll show you where the letter is. Okay, Krug, where is it? I'll get it. It's behind this picture. There's a panel. Jerry, he's getting the letter. What do we do? Let's set off the smoke bomb. Maybe in the excitement. We can oh, get of course, it. Jerry. Oh, no, you don't. I'll take that and come on, hand it over. Come on. Okay. Jerry, we're licked. Looks like it. All right. Here's the letter. Good. Bring it here, Butch. Here you are, boss. Ah. Oh. <laughs> so I was supposed to top 50 grand for this, hey, Krug? <laughs> now I'll just take this cigarette lighter. And I like this corner of the letter. And there goes the last piece of evidence against Cupid Warren up in smoke. 
There it goes, Jerry. Yeah. $50,000. Albie's chance for freedom. Well, that's that. We failed, Jerry. Yeah, we certainly did. Is there any chance of doing anything for Albie now? I'm afraid not. You can only hope. I'll go, dear. Ah, hello there, North Old Man. You always have to be so blamed cheerful. Ah, but I have good news for you. Yeah? What? I'm a liar. A frightful liar. Is that good? But of course. Uh, may I come in? Okay. Well, darling, Crew crawled out from under his rock again. He says he has some good news for us. Hello, hello, Mrs. Norris. Hello. My friends, do you still wish to purchase that letter? What do you mean? It would have been foolish of me to show the real letter, wouldn't it? When I was dealing with a man like Q.P. Warren who might pull a gun at any moment. Yes, it would have been insanely foolish. And, Mr. and Mrs. North, I am not foolish. Weak? Yes. Selfish? Yes. But, uh... Do you mean that letter Krug burned was not the original? Exactly, Mr. North. It was a copy. And the original? It's carefully put away where it shall remain until the money is made ready to change hands. Oh, thank heavens. Jerry, there's still a chance. Yes. Well, now, sir, do we do business or don't we? We do. Good. But on different terms. I beg your pardon. You were able to force a high bid from Jerry before by the pressure of Cupy's bidding. But since you can't deal with Cupy anymore... Why can't I deal with him? Because you tricked him. So he'd never trust you again. He'd never know whether you were holding back a, a photographic copy or something. And the letter doesn't do him any good unless he's sure that he's destroyed every last copy of it. That's right, Krug. Ah, me. So it is. So it is. Distressing fact. But we'll do business with you because we only have to worry about one copy. The original. But we'll have to make sure it is the original. And we won't pay you anything like $50,000. What will you pay? Oh, perhaps a thousand. <laughs> My dear man, you're joking. It wouldn't be worthwhile to bother. You seem to forget, Mr. Krug, that if we don't buy that letter, it's worthless. You might just as well take what we offer as it's all clear profit. And you seem to forget that if I don't take your offer, Albie Baker goes to the electric chair. I can sit tight and wait. I think you'll come across. Oh, you're despicable. I certainly am. I hate you. I hate myself. You seem cheerful enough about it. That, sir, is because I dislike myself so thoroughly, I enjoy hating me. Oh. The trouble with me is I should have been a poet instead of a blackmailer. I have the heart of a poet, the feelings of a poet, the soul of a poet. Well, then why aren't you a poet? Simple. My poetry stinks. And tell you what, Noth, uh, let's settle this matter. Ten thousand dollars. Take it or leave it. Okay. It's a deal. <laughs> Jerry, do, do we just stand here on the corner until he shows up? Uh-huh. Now that he's ready to show the original letter, he's being extra cautious. He's not telling us any address. Afraid we might send the police there. I only hope this time it is the original. Well, I got some samples of Anderson's handwriting. We'll compare them with the letter. I'm not giving up $10,000 for any phony. I have too much trouble raising it. How will we ever pay it back, Jerry? It won't be easy. Mm. Fifteen, seven... 
dollar, five. Uh, make it a dollar. That's easier. Uh, how many weeks are there in a year, Jerry? Fifty-two. <laughs> Why? I'm trying to figure out how much we could save if you give up smoking. Oh, I'm afraid it's not very much. It's too bad I don't smoke, then I could give it up, too, and we'd save twice as much. Oh, we'll manage somehow, Pam. But it won't be easy. You know, Jerry, people shouldn't be allowed to blackmail anyone except very rich people. I think that's crew coming now. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Moss. Get in, please. Okay. Go ahead, Pam. All right. There we are. Now we'll just drive around for a while. Oh, the OPA's not going to like that. Ah, I have to make sure we're not being followed. Better to be cautious than sorry, I always say. And I'm satisfied no one is following. I'll take you to a room I've rented just for this little meeting. Well, Mr. North, are you satisfied that that is the real letter? Hmm. Yeah, it seems to be. Good. Then if you'll pay me, we can conclude our little negotiation. Here you are. Ah, thank you, thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm-hmm. Yes, seems to be correct. Well, that's that then. I'll run along now, but just one more thing. You want to wait here for five minutes before leaving. All right. Well, goodbye, and please believe me when I tell you I'm heartily ashamed of myself. Goodbye. Well, we've got it at last, Jerry. Yep. I can hardly wait to tell Albie. Do they have telephones at Sing Sing? Not private ones. It'll be a wonderful surprise for him. Mr. Skippy Warren's in for a surprise, too. Yes. Oh, how I'd like to see his face when he finds out that what he burns is only a copy and that we have the original. (laughs) What's your sister? Oh. Well, take a good look. Yeah, and this time I'm finishing the job. I've had trouble with you two for the last time. What are you going to do? What do you think I'm going to do? Nobody plays me for a sucker and gets away with it. Oh, but it was Mr. Cruz. I'll take care of him later. Right now I got business with you. I'll fix you so I don't have no more trouble with you. Oh, wait a minute. Can't we... No, I won't wait. I'm finishing you now, mister. What happened, Jerry? Hello, Mr. and Mrs. North. Cruz. I never thought I'd be glad to see you. I saw Cupid coming down the hall, so I hid, and then I followed him back here. You saved our lives. Oh, I had to. I rented this room, you see. If you were found dead in it, I'd be suspected, so I couldn't let him kill you. Not here. How did he know we were here? Well, I don't know. He must have had someone spying. Uh, how is he? Did I... Uh, why doesn't he move? Oh, dear. I'm afraid I've killed him. Looks like it. I only meant to wound him. Oh, dear. Now his body will be found. I'm no better off than if he killed you. Uh, uh, somehow I like it better this way. But look, um, I was only trying to protect you. That's true, isn't it? Yes. You'll say that, won't you? You're the only witnesses you know. You'll testify that he was trying to kill you, won't you? If you don't, they might make a first-degree case out of it. Please don't let me down. After all, I saved your life. Yes, you did. So you will tell them what happened, won't you? Sure, we will. Don't worry. Ah, thank you. However, it's going to cost you just $10,000. What? Yes, otherwise we might have a sudden lapse of memory. Isn't that right, Pam? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, how about it? Okay. You win. Here you are. Good. Thanks. Pammy. Well, oh, that's life. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, I always say. However, it is rather annoying to have ventured so far and still gained nothing. Well, it's no more than I deserve, I dare say. It's a lot less than you deserve. You ought to be in jail. However, let well enough alone, I always say. Uh, What's that? Cupid. Uh, what? But you said... You said... No, I didn't. You did. 
Oh. Your shot missed him completely, but it startled him just enough to give me a chance to clip him. He was standing between you and me so you couldn't see it. No, no, no. Your gun won't help you. I have Cupid's gun now, and I'm ready to use it. Better put yours on the table. Go on. All right. Ah, me. Seems I've played every card wrong, haven't I? Well, I suppose there's nothing left for me to do but go back to my poetry. Well, Jerry, we have the letter, and it didn't cost us a thing. And we've caught Cupid. Everything's turned out for the best after all, hasn't it? Not quite. What do you mean, darling? Think what we've done to lovers of poetry. One of the busiest Bond sellers among the film stars is Dorothy Lemour. And she's one of Hollywood's busiest filmmakers, too. You'll be seeing her soon in the new Paramount Technicolor picture, Riding High. Now, in spite of all that Dorothy L'Amour is doing, that luscious complexion of hers stays as fresh and clear as ever. For you see, Dorothy L'Amour is mighty smart. She's got her complexion care down to a matter of just a few minutes. And here's what she told us about it. My every night skin care is the Woodbury Beauty Nightcap. I've never found anything else so helpful. It's all done with Woodbury Cold Cream in just three minutes. And many more among Hollywood's loveliest stars have this same beauty care. Try it, girl. Woodbury Cold Cream gives such remarkable results because it's a complete beauty cream. Besides cleansing, it softens and smooths beautifully and does still more. Jars ten cents to a dollar and a quarter. That's Woodbury, W-O-O-D-B-U-R-Y, Woodbury Cold Cream. Get a jar tonight. Ladies and gentlemen... Give to the National War Fund. This fund helps many great works. It combines the appeals of 17 national relief organizations and your own money go for our boys in prison camps, to feed starving children abroad, and, of course, for relief work in your own community. The need is greater than ever. So give when the war chest drive is announced in your community. Give as you never gave before. next week at this same time for another adventure of Mr. and Mrs. North, starring Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin. For thrills and laughs, be sure to listen, won't you? This is Ben Grower saying goodnight for Woodbury Cold Cream. Lovely to look at, delightful to know, and heaven to care. program came to you from New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for X-1 next on Theater of the Mind. And now, with a special nod to Wayne Kozak, tuned in from his home in the city's northwest, here's an episode of X-1, written by Isaac Asimov. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3... Minus one, fire.
From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of Astounding Science Fiction, presents... X minus one... Night Story, Nightfall by Isaac Asimov. Ralph Waldo Emerson speculated, if the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would man believe and adore and perceive for many generations the remembrance of the city of God? This was philosophically interesting. But on the edge of the galaxy, a planet swings on its orbit in a cluster of six suns. These suns hang in the sky above. Never less than two shine down through the entire 23.8 hours of the planet's day. The yellow light has burned down on the planet continuously, into the past till the mind of man runneth not to the contrary. Theremon was a reporter for the Sarrow City Chronicle. He covered them all, from the night police beat to politics to the sports pages. And the city editor wanted him to cover the biggest story of the year, perhaps of all time. It was an interview, a particularly difficult interview. But then, since his first days as a cub, Theremon had specialized in difficult interviews. It cost him bruises, black eyes, and broken bones. But it had gotten him an ample supply of coolness and self-confidence. He didn't expect violence, though, from an astronomer. You're from that newspaper? Well, you've got a lot of gall coming here. Now, look, Dr. Aton, it's only a job. I've read your paper. You've been writing this observatory for two months now. You've attacked me personally. I have nothing to say to you. Well, this is your chance to get your side into the paper. Look, Dr. Aton, I'll give it to you straight. Two months ago, the observatory issued a press statement that the world was coming to an end. Now, that's the same story the cult of the Book of Revelations had been preaching. Now, when a scientist backs that up, it's news. Our conclusions have nothing to do with the cult. The cult is full of superstition and mysticism. We're scientists. You've got the people pretty angry. It doesn't matter. If I can't get the story from you, I'll have to go somewhere else. Go ahead. The paper can be pretty rough on someone who doesn't cooperate, Dr. Redon. Young man, if you're not out of the observatory within five minutes, I shall call the police. Now, get out. The reporter walks down the long hall from the observatory. The light filters through the high, clear story windows, the yellow light of gamma, the brightest of the six suns in the planet's sky. Beta is almost at zenith. Its red light floods the landscape to an unusual orange. The planet's sun, Alpha, is at the antipodes. But now as gamma sinks below the horizon, the red dwarf sun, Beta, is alone, grimly alone. It's a short drive from the observatory to Saro City, and the red light glares from the highway. The temple of the cult stands hewn from the solid rock of the Dormite Mountains outside the city, and in the inner courtyard stands Sor, the priest of the cult. 
woe to the unbelievers. Their souls will rot with the absence of light. Tell me, your reverence, what will happen? What are you waiting for here? The day. The day of the coming. It is written in the book of Revelations. It came to pass the sun beta was alone in the sky. And the world was shrunken and cold. And men did assemble in the public squares and highways. Their minds were troubled and their speech confused. For the souls of men awaited the coming of the stars. And the lip of the cave of darkness passed the edge of beta. And loud were the cries of men. And there was no light on the surface of the world. And in this blackness there appeared the stars in countless numbers. And in that moment the souls of men departed from them. And their abandoned bodies became even as beasts. From the stars then reached down the heavens flame. And where it touched, the cities of the world flamed to destruction. So that of man and all the works of man not remained. So it is written. Dr. Sharon, you're the only scientist I could find in the city. Where is everybody? In the hideout. The hideout? Yes, but the place bored me. I wanted to be out here where things are getting hot. I want to see the stars the cultists are talking about. Besides, they don't want me at the hideout. I'm too scrawny to survive. What is the hideout? Well, we professors have managed to convince a few people that our prophecy of doom is valid. We've got about 3,000 people. They're supposed to hide where the darkness and the stars can't get at them. We hope they'll survive and leave the records. Survive? Survive what? Well, how true it is, I can't say. But the, the cultists say that every 2,050 years, all the suns disappear. And there is a total darkness, and then they say things called stars appear. Of course, men go mad. They, they mix all this up with a lot of religio-mystic notions, uh, but that's the central idea. But that's impossible, isn't it? I mean, there are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time four or five. There aren't now. Only beta. You mean that there is going to be worldwide darkness tomorrow, that all mankind will go violently insane? What's behind that? Well, for one thing, the history of civilization of the world. We have located a series of cycles of civilizations comparable to our own, all of which, without exception, were destroyed by fire at the very height of their culture. But is there any scientific theory behind this which would explain it? Well, the University Observatory finished their calculations two months ago. And tomorrow there will be an eclipse of beta so that the planet will become dark. That eclipse comes every 2,049 years. Darkness. And maybe those mysterious stars that no man has seen. And then madness and the end of civilization. And you expect to live through this at the hideout? They plan to photograph the eclipse and leave the records. And then the rest of mankind will know what to expect. Well, what is there in darkness to drive men mad? Have you ever experienced darkness, young man? Well, no, but I know what it is. It's just no light. Oh. Uh, draw the curtain. Why, what for? If we had four or five suns out there, we might want to cut the light down for comfort, but with only beta... Ah, that's the point. Just draw the curtain and then come here and sit down. All right. 
I can't see you. Feel your way. But I can't see you. I can't see anything. Do you like it? Oh, it's awful. The walls seem... They seem to be closing in on me. I, I, I keep wanting to push them away. All right, all right. Draw the curtain back again. Oh, the light, the light. I... Oh, do you have a drink? Right here. Now, that was just a dark room. Yes, but it wasn't really so bad. You're afraid? Just darkness could do that. This isn't just a metaphysical theory, young man. It's promulgated from observed data. Well, come with me. Where? The locked wall down the corridor. Um, were you at the Cerro City Centennial Exposition two years ago? I was overseas on assignment. Well, you remember hearing about the tunnel of mystery that broke all records in the amusement area? Oh, yes. Wasn't there some fuss about that? The uh, anti-vice society had it shut down. Oh, it was shut down, all right. But the Blue Noses had nothing to do with it. That tunnel was nothing but a mile-long passage through darkness. You rode in a little car, and it took 15 minutes to get through. Oh, <laughs> It was very popular while it lasted. Popular? Well, there's a, there's a fascination to be frightened when it's part of a game. Absence of light is one of the instinctive human fears. People came out of that 15 minutes of darkness shaking and half dead with fear. Well, weren't there some deaths? Oh, bad hearts, but that wasn't the big danger. Now, uh... Which key is this? Ah. Where are we going? You'll see. No, the uh, heart attacks were actually good for business, but uh, there was something else. Here, I'll show you. I, uh, I want you to see somebody. Latima. Latima. Go, go away. Latima, I want you to meet somebody. This is Mr. Theremon. No. No, go away. Hello? He's pushing me. Make him stop pushing me. Go away. I'm not touching him. What's wrong? Latima is afraid. Aren't you? The walls. They're falling in on me. The walls. I've got to get out. I've got to get out. Let me out. You can't go out, Latima. It's, it's all right. I've got to get out. Let me out. Let me out. Let me out. At, uh, at sleeping period, we have to give him a shot of morphine. Otherwise, he'd bat his brains against the wall. What's wrong with him? Nothing. Nothing but 15 minutes in the darkness of the tunnel of mystery. Oh, that's impossible. One person out of ten came out of the tunnel that way. That's why we had it shut down. But why should darkness do that? It's obvious men cannot exist without light. Longer periods of darkness would obviously be fatal. The scientific theory is that the consciousness of light is necessary for mental activity. But please, doctor, let me outside. Let me out, please. I, I can't breathe. They're pushing me. They're always pushing me. I can't stand here. <laughs> 
Well, there you are, Saruman. That's what 15 minutes of darkness will do. Man just wasn't built to operate without light. There are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time more. Just 15 minutes of darkness. Now, look out of that window. Imagine darkness everywhere. No light as far as you can see. Black. Everything black. And the stars, whatever they are, can you conceive it? No, your mind wasn't built for that conception. When the real thing comes, you will go mad. Completely and permanently. There is no question of it. Tomorrow, there won't be a city left standing in the world. Why should the cities be destroyed? <laughs> if you were in darkness, what would you want more than anything else? What would it be that every instinct would call for? Light. And how would you get light? I don't know. You'd burn something. They've got to have light. They've got to burn something. And every city in the world will go up in flames. Well, uh, shall we go back to my office, Mr. Fetterman, and uh, have another drink? Through the skies, the red sun beta shines alone. The wind howls across the city. It is cold. Colder than man can remember. And as the hour approaches, the reporter goes out and speaks to the man in the street. Excuse me, where are you going now? Home for supper. How about, uh, well, I mean, what are you going to do tonight? You mean about this star stuff? Look, I'll tell you, mister, I got nothing against religion, see? But it don't stand a reason that the end of the world is going to come boom like that. It just don't stand a reason. Have you read what the scientists say? I don't read stuff like that. Only the headlines. Well, how about the cult? Well, now, like I say, I've got nothing against religion. You don't believe them either. Oh, they've always been shouting about doom and sin. Listen, when you've been around as long as I have, you get to know the score. It's all right to preach judgment day is coming and all that, but huh, just the same, I'm putting money in the bank. How about darkness? About what? How would you feel if there were no light? <laughs> you crazy, how could there be no light? Well, suppose all the suns went down at once. Suppose everything was black. That's crazy. What's the use of supposing something like that? It couldn't happen. It's crazy. That's all. Thank you. Sure, sure. Oh, look, mister, remember, pallet with two L's? All this talk of scientific explanation, it's sinful, that's what it is. Are you a member of the cult, sir? Sure I am. Been a member since I was a boy. My daddy was a member, too. I've seen the books. It's all written down in the books. Don't you believe the scientist's explanation? Don't need it. I'm going to save my immortal soul. I'm going to stay on the mountaintop in a white robe while the stars climb away to glory. Blessed be the stars. Amen. What are the stars? The glory. The, the breath of the heavens. The spirit of the ultimate. That's what they are. The observatory has announced that it intends to take pictures of the stars. Blasphemy. I sold my house. I gave all my money to the poor. Won't need it anymore. I'm going to heaven with the stars. Glory, glory going with the stars.
The reporter checks the stock exchange, the stores, business at a standstill. Doesn't pay to buy anything today, not if the world is going to end tomorrow. There are predictions of economic collapse in the financial section, layoffs at the factories on the edge of the city, and through the streets the people will mill and turn, unsure, crying in fear or shouting with bravado. The story isn't here in the city, and so as the hour approaches, the reporter goes again to the observatory, high in the hills. Uh, look, Dr. Aton, if you are right, if the world is going to be destroyed, what is the difference if I stay here and observe and take notes? Uh, nothing, I suppose. You will be in the way. We have work to do. If I stay out of the way. Hello, hello. Oh, this place is like a morgue. It's freezing outside. The wind is enough to hang icicles on your nose. Beta doesn't seem to give any heat at all, the distance it is. Why aren't you in the hideout, Sharon? Me? I'm part of the race that isn't worth perpetuating. Uh, who's got a bottle? We know alcohol today. Be too easy to get my men drunk. I can't afford to tempt them. All right, Thurman, you can stay. The time we took our positions, the observatory dome is up these stairs. After you. Ah! What is that? Up in the dome, quick. What is it? It's the plates. The photographic plates are all smashed. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> The cultist is going for the telescope. After him. All right, I've got him. Let go. No. Let go. must be destroyed. It must be. It's all right. He didn't harm anything. Let him up. That's the high priest I was talking to him yesterday. All right. What do you want? Nothing that you would give me of your own free will. I made a bargain with the cult. Give me certain data that you had. In return, I promised to prove the essential truth of the creed. There was no need to prove that. It stands proven by the book of Revelations. I offered scientific backing for you believers. You made of the darkness and the stars a natural phenomenon and removed all its real significance. That was blasphemy. The facts exist. Your facts are a fraud and a delusion. How do you know? I know. I suppose you think in trying to warn the world against the menace of madness, we are placing souls in jeopardy, huh? Well, we haven't succeeded. If that makes you feel better. Your devilish instruments must be destroyed. We obey the will of the stars. Someone call the police in Cerro City. There's no time for that. Uh, let me handle this. The eclipse is only a few minutes away. Look, you. Will you give your word of honor to cause no trouble? I will not. Listen. Just as soon as the eclipse starts, we're going to take you and put you in a closet with the door closed, and you will stay there. Then you won't see the darkness, and you won't see the stars. And that means the loss of your immortal soul, according to the cult. All right. Will you give your word of honor? You have it. You will all be damned for your deeds of today. Look! Look at Beta! The eclipse has started. You can see the blackness against Beta. Get busy on those cameras. Check the exposures very carefully. You're shaking, Mr. Theremin. I don't feel very well. You're not losing your nerve. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just not used to it. You could probably make the hideout. I have been assigned to cover a story. I intend to cover it. Oh. Professional honor? Yes. Yes. Alasophanet Radrock. Alasophanet. What is that? The cultist. That's the book of Revelations. I don't understand it. He is chanting some old cycle language. The book of Revelations was originally written in it. There are probably two million people in Sarah City who are trying to join the cult. One gigantic revival. How do the cultists manage to keep the book of Revelations going from cycle to cycle? If everyone goes mad, who wrote the book? 
There are some people who don't see the stars. The blind, those who drink themselves into a stupor, and children, to whom the world as a whole is too new and too strange for them to be frightened at stars and darkness. They would have memories, and that, combined with the confused, incoherent babbling of the mad, formed the basis for the book of Revelations. Oh, the cult will be riding high down there in the city. I, I hope they make the most of it. Dr. Sharon, I, I just heard from the hideout on the private line. Oh, they're in trouble? They are safe, but the city is, is a shambles. You have no idea. Well, it'll get worse. Well, what are you shaking about, Dr. Aiton? How do you feel? You don't understand. The cultists are rousing the people to storm the observatory, promising them immediate entrance into grace, promising them salvation, promising them anything. How long till the total eclipse? An hour. Well, it's a gamble. It will take time to get a mob out here. If the darkness comes first, we're all right. Oh, look at Beta. It's gotten half. Half of it is black. Yes, it's getting darker. An interesting phenomenon. Oh, my, my collar is suddenly tight. Are you having any difficulty in breathing? No, no, why? Difficulty in breathing is one of the first <clears throat> symptoms. We have experimented. I'm, I'm cold. Seems to be getting colder. Yes, so we'd better keep our minds on something else. One of the astronomers has a theory about the stars far away to see in the light. He developed a fantasy about a planet revolving around one sun. <laughs> it's a mathematical possibility. Of course, there couldn't be any life. Part of the planet would always be dark and without light. Well, it's, it's obvious. Without light, there can't be any light. It's time for the artificial light. We can't read the instruments. Artificial light? One of the researchers at the university worked it out. Well, it's beautiful. Yellow light. After four hours of red. It's beautiful. Light. Light. The dome is quiet. The priest in his yellow robe sways slowly as his lips move in the ancient tongue. Over and over, he whispers the invocation to the stars. The technicians hunch over the instruments, and the sky gradually turns a horrible deep purple red, and the air grows denser. Dusk, like a palpable entity, enters the room, and the dancing circle of yellow light about the torches etches itself into ever-sharper distinction against the ever-gathering grayness beyond. Outside, Beta is a mere smoldering splendor, taking a last look at the world. The western horizon, in the direction of the city, is lost in darkness, and along the highway to the observatory surges a menacing, shadowy mass. Bob from the city, they're coming. How long till total eclipse? Fifteen minutes. They'll be here in five. We'll hold them off. Come on, Fetterman, downstairs. But, but, but there's, there's no light down there. We have to block the door. Come on. I can't... I can't breathe. I can't go down there. Take a torch. We'll take light with us. Come on. Come on. 
Aiton? Aiton? I'm here. Did you bar the door? They won't get in. All right now, everybody. One minute till totality. One minute. Just before totality, I'm changing the plate. That will leave one of you for each camera. You know all about times of exposure. Now remember, don't try to look for good shots. And if you feel yourself going, get away from the camera. Dark. It's getting dark. Sharon. Sharon, where are you? I can't see you, Sharon. I'm right here. 30 seconds. Ah! Look out. The priest. I can't see him. And the wicked shall perish in the souls of the true believers. Shall be transported in glory to the stars. You can see him against the torch. Don't let him get to the telescope. the stars that reach down the heavenly flame. And where it touched the cities of the world, flame to utter destruction. Grab him! You shall not blaspheme! The world must be destroyed by the stars! It must be! Let me go! I'll take care of this. Oh, Five seconds to totality. Four, three, two, one. The sky is black, and through it shine the stars. 30,000 minute suns shine down in a soul-searing splendor. It is more frightening in its awful indifference than the bitter wind that shivers across the horrible, cold, bleak world. Stars. The stars. It's dark. 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 The walls. The walls are coming in on me. They're coming in. Light. 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 Darkness. Forever. Light. Forever. And ever. Light. And the walls Light. are breaking in. We did not know. We did not know. We did not know. On the horizon, in the direction of the city, a crimson glow begins growing. A thousand fires strengthen in brightness that is not the glow of the sun. A million fires. As a world mad in the darkness screams in terror for the light. The night has come again. You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight by transcription, X-1 has brought you Nightfall by Isaac Asimov. Adapted for radio by Ernest Kinoy. Featured in the cast were Wendell Holmes, John Larkin, Santos Ortega, Mercer McLeod, Alan Collins, Bob Hastings, and Roy Fent. Your narrator was Floyd Mack. Fred Collins speaking. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Saint, followed by Philip Marlowe. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. 
The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.